0: our podcast this week we rubbed the rabbit's foot and what do you know Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson stripped off their masks and appeared out of nowhere to talk mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning comma part one (laughs) all that and more on the movie podcast that would join the uh, in starving writers and now actors into submission except that even giggling idiots like us realize that that's a terrible strategy to announce to the world hello pod I'm Helen and I am covering today for my colleague Chris Hewitt, who can't be here due to not wanting to be. He, for some reason, wanted to be with visiting family and friends. So,
1: how day? Bit, bit rude. Bit Absolutely, how day? I, I heard rejected. he was—he was on strike. He's... Uh, his- <laughs> His sag our credentials came through, and he is now, <laughs> even now as we speak, being a twat on a picket line.
0: Uh, that would make sense, given yeah. his massive role in Ho- Hostel 2. That's true, that? yeah. 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 Anyway, fear not, because I'm obviously, as you've heard, joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. With me today is a man who knows more about Disney than even Walt's severed head could dream of. It's Ben Travis. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. Uh, Yeah, I've recovered Walt's severed head from (laughs) the catacombs of Disney World, which is why I have all of his knowledge, as well as my own built machine for that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm doing great.
0: Great, great engineering. Well done. And, of course, we are also joined by James Dyer, the man who can probably recite the name of every person beheaded in Game of Thrones book or TV (laughs) show.
1: I'll tell you this. The next person to be beheaded, unfortunately, is in this very room. (gasps) What? Ben and I (gasps) have bad blood.
0: Oh, yes. no. Don't we,
1: Ben? You are not the man. I survived the Great <gasps> War.
0: Oh, no. You got Taylor, Taylor tickets and he didn't?
1: Uh-huh. I have Taylor Swift tickets. He does. I have my Eras tour ticket. I cannot tolerate it. I see what you did there. You see what I'm, I'm <laughs> yes. continuing to
2: do? <laughs> this is a cruel summer for you, James. Yeah. You,
1: I think don't blame me is what you need to say. yet. Yeah, but I'm going <laughs> to, Ben. I'm going to blame you because you had a pre-sale code. I knew you were trouble when off. you walked in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. You are not the one and all of these things. I was going to say I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. But I haven't felt 22 for about 10 years. <laughs> you are you are not an anti-hero. You're just a
2: twat. <laughs> wow! Well, uh, yes, is I'm some... happy to be a twat if that means that. Yeah, I have I have my ticket. Carmel will get Wembley. you, Ben. Carmel will get you. Carmel's going to drag me down
1: step by step from town to town. <laughs> Honestly, it's just it's just. Talk about lavender haze. It's a red, crimson haze I, for yeah, me at the I moment. Think it is. I'm I mean, not happy. We at may all. have some
0: need to have some kind of intervention before so the end ben, of the podcast. So,
1: Ben pre-ordered the Midnight's album, therefore Well, got my early friend access.
2: Emma did. Yeah. So my friend Emma, who is uh, the biggest Swifty of them all, pre-ordered Midnight's from Taylor's website, which mm-hmm. meant that she got the extra early pre-sale code. I mean, we were still like 10,000 or something in the pre-sale queue alone, wow. which is Bonkers, but uh, yeah, I'll be there at Wembley. But James, you're missing out the bit where I said you can have my that code. True. That is true. I will actively <laughs> help you get these tickets.
1: That is true. I shouldn't. I shouldn't come for Ben just yet. I know yeah, that really all too can. well, Ben. All too well. Yeah. Um. Yes. So bet- Ten-minute version. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. <laughs> okay. The time. I- <laughs> No, So Ben has very kindly said that if he gets drawn for the lottery, because he doesn't need it anymore, he will he will give me his code. Yes. Okay, uh, and right. if anyone listening to this has got pre and doesn't need their code, please think of me on Friday as this goes out. Because as we record, this is on Thursday. So I, I, tomorrow I will find out whether I'm
0: If your dreams are going to be tr- or on the crushed waitlist. or not. Indeed. Yeah, okay. this is Indeed.
1: This is wildest dreams. Indeed. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite stressed out about it.
0: Oh, boy. Well, um, hopefully this will be a nice, calm, relaxing podcast. Yeah, let's hope. Totally calm. Totally relaxing. I mean, it's not like
1: Hollywood's
2: imploding or anything. No, no. nothing bad about, is happening. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> oh my God. Exactly
0: my point. Let's talk about <laughs> uh, Hollywood is ending. So for anybody who hasn't been keeping <laughs> up with the news in the last couple of days, as well as the continuing Writers Guild of America East and West Coast strike that has been ongoing now for a couple of months, uh, SAG-AFTRA, the, the Combined Actors Guild, is now also out on strike as of midnight on Wednesday, 8 a.m., thursday uk time the actors guild are also on strike uh this will mean for the duration of the strike we will have fewer interviews coming your way i'm going well, to they're be honest not with they're you. not
1: technically on strike yet are they they are going to go on to but not there, there's a formality i seem to recall as we go out there's a, there's a meeting isn't there they have to have the meeting to formalize the strike don't they at 5 p.m this evening Th- there's right like then. a ticking yeah.
2: clock that if it's agreed in time and Tom Cruise can get to the counter with one <laughs> second to go and he hits the button, yeah, yeah. then it's off. But basically, yeah. other it's than basically, that happening, yeah. it's, it's going. Yeah, I mean, it is going to happen. It's a it formality. Is happen. It it's is a, a formality. formality. But it, yeah, yeah.
0: Here, here's the thing. Yeah, the with, I think, I feel it's fair to say spectacular ill timing. There was mm. a piece in Deadline on Wednesday morning uh, which came out basically saying the studio plan. And this was, you know, sources cited that were close to Umptbe, um the, which is the sort of overall studio organisation that's been negotiating... The evil Ampetabha. The, the evil umptor. Um <laughs> Obviously, we're not saying they're evil, but they are. <laughs> um, they... They basically uh, seem to have briefed deadline or, or somebody involved in their camp seems to have briefed deadline going, we plan to wait the riders out. They're going to be losing their homes by October and that is fine with us. And then we will enter into negotiations, maybe running up to a very cold Christmas for them. And that will ensure that they basically come to the table and accept whatever we're willing to give them. I mean, that's a spectacular thing to say. And it's like, <laughs> did I say that out loud? Yeah, I don't like, know about yes, you guys, you did.
2: <laughs> but they sound like the good guys to me.
0: Are we the baddies? Hundred
1: percent. It was a proper, a proper kind of fucking hell. And, and I think,
0: moment. I think it was meant to be intimidating, and the almost universal response I've seen from writers has been, <laughs> "Well, you can, you know, pleasure yourselves with that."
1: Yeah. Right. Well, now. the the, uh, the the meme that I really like was the Avengers meme when he's just like, "We're going to hold out until you go broke," and then it's like Mark Ruffler goes, "That's my secret." I'm always. Always, broke.
0: that is genuinely uh, what the what the answer from a lot of them has been. It's like you have trained us to go months without being paid. Yeah, we're okay with that now. <laughs> so um, anyway, and and obviously for any you know for any uh, SAG negotiators who were still w- wondering how that was going to go, that that I imagine would have also galvanized their opinion. Yeah. Um, and it also means, of course, that you know productions that maybe were continuing around the world with non us writers uh but us stars yeah. those are now no no longer going no. and so. let's
1: be honest like like if you're talking you oh it's fine are like uk actors but like you you're looking for U.K. actors who in no way act in the us right yeah. like and that's not that many <laughs> so it, it really does impact a huge amount of people it
0: doesn't and it is look i'm um, you know if, if you're one of the people out there who works in production who works uh you know in filmmaking it is going to be i imagine tough for you I'm, I'm i'm sorry about that we don't mean to sound flippant about that at all uh we do however think that this is probably this is a conversation that needs to be had mm. clearly with the studios because people are not being able to sustain themselves with a career in filmmaking and no. that seems like it's a problematic thing let's
2: just say we have sympathy for people who are struggling to maintain <laughs> a certain lifestyle through the power of writing That's, yes i have sympathy for that
1: as do i
0: Yes, we have to, we have to, it obviously involves a lot of empathy (laughs) and reaching out of our own imagination. That's
1: right. Oh my God. We'll
0: get back to the power of imagination later in this oh, podcast. Hmm. Yeah.
1: It's quite a thing. But also, so it may come to the point where, for example, we're just interviewing random people off the streets in podcasts as they go forward. Yeah. Uh, because they've moved. So I'm going to the Oppenheimer premiere this evening. Oh, uh, but they've them. moved the red carpet forward by an hour so that the stars of Oppenheimer can do the red carpet. Because when the strike, when this meeting happens at the tail end of the day, when that gets rubber stamped, they're going to have to essentially leave. Yeah. Like that's it. They're done. They can't again that's kind of thematically great for oppenheimer we were
2: against a ticking clock (laughs) before doomsday hits get get all the actors the strike
1: bomb is exploding yeah,
0: Yeah. It's so wild. it's, um. yeah, this is this is very, it is unusual times. I think it's the first time in 60 years that both uh, guilds have been out at once. Uh, this does mean that more productions will shut down. There are going to be more delays into films that you are looking forward to. We've just seen, we'll be reporting on some films today that are in production and uh, they will now be sitting around waiting either to go into production or to continue to production. So we saw, for example, and um, we'll talk about this later in more depth, but, you know, Deadpool images coming out this week unless those were rap images, uh, (laughs) that is is now on hiatus, I would say, until this is all resolved. So, you know, best of luck for a wonderful outcome for everybody involved, but especially the writers and actors. Yes. Uh, Anyway, time for a question. We do have questions sometimes on this podcast, I swear. Uh, And uh, rather thematically, this comes from at Nandi Selson. And Sandy says, uh, the actors and writers are on strike, so it's just directors left. Who are the best multi-hyphenate directors who could single-handedly break the strike by doing all the jobs? Now, let us be clear. We are not about to suggest that any of the names we're about to mention actually would cross the picket line We do not suggest that they are scabs in any way. This is just a lol question. So who has the talent to break the strike by doing all of the things? Him or herself? Go.
2: I mean, immediately Benson and Moorhead jumped to mind. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who made The Endless and who made uh, Something in the Dirt and resolution Mm -hmm. they write the theme tune they sing the theme tune they play the roles often named after themselves for scripts that they've written that they direct themselves sometimes in their own apartments
1: They have um, more hyphens than I think any other filmmakers alive.
2: So they m- might be the multiest hyphenates. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. Who is the multiest hyphenate? I mean, because I was going to say somebody like Robert Rodriguez, for example, who famously came up doing his own cinematography, his own editing, his own. I think he has directing. like a green
2: screen in his own garage. <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> who but doesn't?
0: Then, who doesn't? I mean, yeah. yeah was it uh, Dick Van Dyke got one at one point to, to train with it?
1: Well, he'd have an LED volume these days. Ah,
0: oh, these days, mm. of course. Yeah. Uh,
1: honestly, I just th- I think TV will be absolutely fine because Taylor Sheridan exists, and I think while. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Sheridan exists and already makes, let's say, 90, 95% of all shows on television uh, and acts and produces, and writes and directs. I think TV will be entirely unaffected.
3: Does he do he all those do things? things? Well, just, no, he does. He has okay. in different places. Yeah,
1: in different places. He has at times done all of those things. Whether does he do all
2: those things now? Well, no, on no
1: not, not enough. But, but what I'm just saying is like, bearing in mind that Taylor Sheridan is a guy who I historically just knew as Deputy Hale from Sons of Anarchy. And then he wrote Sicario and Hell or High Water and created the whole Yellowstone verse, which let's be honest, is most of television at the moment. Mm. Is incredible. I mean, I would mention the other multi-hyphenate Taylor, but I don't want to set yeah, James off again. Let's, let's I mean, let's let's look, she directs, look, she's she directing, acts. she acts, <laughs> she writes. You know, she can do everything. She can do the
0: soundtrack. Yeah, okay. So Taylor Swift, genuinely a more credible yeah. answer I'm, than I'm I I'm pitching
1: for her to be on the cover of the next Taylor, issue.
0: Taylor Sheridan, there was a, an interesting article with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think Esquire, I recommend people read that for a really stunning insight into his mind. James, I'm amazed you haven't mentioned James Cameron yet. <sighs>
1: but he doesn't act. Therein lies the problem. He doesn't so need actors. Does do, I mean, actors? do you know what? You actually make a very good point. He he lives in a post-actor world where because like he directs, he writes, he can do sort of like production design, he does all the, you know, he sketches everything out, create he can do sets, he can do the cinematography. I think he can do everything other than act on screen, but he could 100% invent some kind of technology which means he doesn't even need actors. I mean, what it is,
2: it, it means that if he can't have any like Navi actors for whatever Avatar is shooting right
1: now, give us the fucking Piacan movie. Well, Piacan the Tulkoon. You can't say Piacan without well, you can't spell Piacan without AI, as oh Chris says. say. So Why? you
0: can. He's There's not no here. I in
1: Piacan. <laughs> He's
0: hey. not here. We could have done an entire pod without that joke. We could have done. Uh. You know,
1: I, I feel like I'm channeling him.
0: Uh, I, I I've warned you not to play with these eldritch powers, okay? <laughs> like that is not okay.
1: Well, you definitely can't spell Navi without AI. So okay, you know that, we that can have true. AI Navi in Avatars four and five.
0: So who uh, who else? Any other multi hyphenates that you want to mention?
1: Kevin Smith
2: could hop on and do something. He writes. <laughs> he directs. He silently acts. Quentin Tarantino. Oh, no, we don't want Quentin Tarantino <laughs> acting. I don't think he's listening, but Quentin, you're so good at so many things. And that's not one of them. But the thing that immediately springs to mind more than anything else is the Django Unchained <laughs> sequence. He
0: doesn't have to do an accent. He could not do an accent.
2: He could not. Which director told him to do that accent? Oh, yeah, it was Quentin Tarantino. Okay, yeah. okay, that's okay, fair. That, that's
0: fair. That, that's that fair. is fair. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Okay, but we've Ratter got... go Gerwig.
2: She writes, she directs, she acts. That's this true. This would be the the Greta Gerwig indie movie that people are kind of hoping for sneak in before she does Narnia stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, and again, just to be clear, we're not suggesting any of these people would cross the line. We're just, you know, talking about multi hyphenates who are a thing that exists. People know stuff about filmmaking. It's kind of cool. Um, I mean, James Cameron, like famously, could do anybody's job on set. Yeah, as, you know, so which I you think I is what do makes like...
1: so difficult to work with. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes because he can he can literally do your job better than you can yeah. and and if you screw up that's embarrassing yeah um but you you do make a compelling case as well for uh, for your pair so benson moorhead, benson moorhead. Not, yeah. Not, yeah yeah knocking
1: so, out the park
0: we've time. established
1: all films for the next however many months will be benson moorhead production starring taylor swift excellent good i'm i'm on board with this wow into okay. it um, the, uh, all right well the silver lining
0: Thank you for that question, Nancy. If you'd like to get in touch and have your question treated with uh, the same level of incisive debate and discussion and
1: research, I like to and think it's a deep, deep, deep research.
0: <laughs> Chris would want us to mention John Carpenter because he composed his own scores and so on as well. I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, Werner Herzog.
0: Werner Herzog,
1: as good in front of the camera as he is behind.
0: And we could have, like, to be fair, we could have great docs, right? Because I. I mean, sometimes docs are scripted, but if you just had, you know, a sort of a a doc that tells the story through an assemblage of footage, do you get around writing credits that way? It's possible, maybe. If you'd like to get in touch and have your question treated with the same level of completely incisive, deeply researched, off the top of our head shit, uh, then (laughs) please do get in touch with us. Uh, Really, the only thing that happens is you need to look out for a panicked shout out from either myself or Chris on a Thursday. do reply with the hashtag empire podcast or we might not see it and uh, and yes we will we will do our best to you know answer some questions time i think now for some news uh so apart from the strike which i feel like we've somewhat covered yeah what has been happening this week.
1: Well, the Emmy nominations were announced this week. I am going to spare you and all of our listeners the pain of listening to me go through these category by category for that. You want to tune in to the Pilot TV podcast on there Monday. Uh, but I will say that Obi-Wan Kenobi was nominated for Best Limited Series and what the fuck? It's what, a good I mean, show. It wasn't bad. It was a good show. I mean, look, I can it was fine but like are we really saying are we really saying it was worthy of an Emmy in that category like technical categories sure the LED volume as hidden by the house plants was great but I just honestly
0: what what else was do do give us that category what else was right, I'll, I'll have to category.
1: bring it up I'll have to bring up the category so it's best limited or anthology series it was up against beef on Netflix which is amazing uh-huh. Dharma the Jeffrey Dahmer story on Netflix, which is <laughs> a show. Uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, which is actually quite a surprise in the Prime uh-huh. video. Fleischman is in trouble. Very, very good oh, on effects. Yeah. And Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. I just, I just, it's not even the fucking best Star Wars show out last year. Admittedly, it is a limited one, which Mandalorian isn't. Yeah. But I was Andor. just like... Hmm? Andor is the best. Limited. Not limited either. Seconds, and also, does that fall into seven? that? I mean, actually, it's true because Andor is up for other things. That's mm. very true. Andor okay. uh, Andor's, okay, Andor's fabulous. But... um, yeah, I just, huh. I just, I just, I just, I. That's yeah. what you tripped over. Basically. I tripped over this and the fact that the bear was classed as a comedy, which. That's a weird thing. TV needs I, to sort its shit out of what's a comedy
2: and what's like a half hour drama that occasionally I mean, hey, makes you smile. Film, and film doesn't
0: get to tell people off for that. Well, because wasn't the Martian
1: the, nominated for the cat, for yeah, best that was comedy? A comedy. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, there's a couple of good. G- the Space Pirate gag made me laugh. It's not fucking comedy, is it's it? It's very
0: funny. Yeah,
1: but no, it's not a comedy. It's not a
0: comedy, no. It's just funny. Yeah.
1: And when he grows potatoes in his own shit, yeah. it's hilarious. It's when hilarious. I do it, apparently it's horrible. <laughs> it's frowned upon in the office, certainly. Uh, I just, yeah, I just, I, I find that it's that kind of strategic category position. It's category fraud. And I feel that the bear is so good, it yeah. doesn't need a fraudulent category.
0: But hang on. So The Bear isn't up for a limited series, is it? No,
1: The Bear is up for best comedy series. Okay, right, got you. Okay. Yeah, and funny. I would argue that, again, while it is funny, it is not a comedy. It is yeah. an incredibly stressful half-hour drama. I
2: yeah. think they should just make up their own categories and be like, the most delicious show on telly <laughs> is Bear. The Bear, not, or, not or Beef.
0: Go, go the sort of weird Ali Yakovich route in the, that movie, in weird, you know, the maybe not technically the best, but certainly the best known person in this weirdly specific category is... <laughs> That's how you want to win.
2: Yeah. Obi Wan, best snoot horse in a limited series. In a limited series. And and
0: you know what? We wouldn't be arguing about that. It is clearly the best snoot horse. Best
2: casting of a young princess Leia. She's she's got it in the bag.
0: She's lovely. I mean, does she? Yeah.
2: Vivian
1: Lyra Blair was so great in that show. She was wonderful. Your mileage may vary. Anyway, right. <laughs> anyway, look, look anyway, that that's was the move. Emmy's right. You can hear about more about that on the PolyTV podcast.
0: Okay, that's your two mentions. That's it. That's oh, done. Oh, you wait
1: till I get to the live show. Oh, but boy. actually, we should talk news wise. We have an Empire live show on the 9th of September at King's Place, at the London Podcast Festival. Helen's gesticulating wildly, meaning she was going to get to I that. Was but carry get on. To that. All right, yes. go on then. Take it away. Well, You've you just say? said it. Hit it. We've
0: got a live show as part of the live Come podcast and see Festival. us live. Come and see us live on September the 9th. Yes. We like to think of it as the big, you know, headliner slot on the on the Saturday night. That not may not technically be what it is, and but that's the way we see it. And
1: it's exclusive because it's not going out as a podcast. So if you don't come, you will never, ever You'll witness never it. you never know. Or if you ever. are a
0: podcast completist, this is the only way yeah. to hear this one.
1: It's going to be mega. It's going to be amazing. There is, unfortunately, so as we've discussed earlier, there are some hoops you need to jump through to get Taylor Swift tickets. There are hoops you need to jump through to get tickets for this as well. Yes, you can go to the King's Place website and search for... Empire um, podcast, the Empire London Podcast on Pod- the yeah. Podcast Festival. But you are only eligible to buy tickets. If you have already bought tickets for the Pilot TV two hundred and fifty episode, not which is on the nineteenth of August. So you cannot buy tickets for Empire until you have bought tickets for Pilot two fifty on the nineteenth of August. Okay. James, you've got to
2: stop sliding into people's DMs. Like, this is your code to buy a ticket for (laughs) for the pilot show. This is
1: your exclusive code, only for you. You are eligible. James Rules is the code. To be clear,
0: to be clear, there is a Pilot Live podcast on on August 19th. Is there? Tell us about it. Yes, and I'm sure it'll be wonderful and people should definitely have a look at going to that. Yes. But the two are not linked. Kingsplace.co.uk slash pilot 250. As, as your lawyer, the two are not linked, and people don't have to go to Pilot in order to come to Empire. I'm just saying, in case anybody's busy one day, maybe with her dad's birthday, and still wants to come to the other one.
1: But your dad's coming, Helen. I don't understand.
0: Well, I haven't broken the news to him yet, and he's still <laughs> oh, no. trying to recover from last year.
1: Do you know what he would
2: love? Is this on the 9th? No, the 19th. Okay. Birthday. The 19th of August for right. yeah. mine. Yes. Yes. And also if you're if you're around on the 9th? at 11.30 in the morning, like the opposite of the headline slot, <laughs> you maybe want to come and see Disneyversity and see Ooh. us talk about
0: Shrek. Ooh, it's oh. going to be great. Shrek, Hang on. We're doing Shrek. Shrek. Disneyversity. A Disneyversity
1: yes. and you're doing Shrek. We're doing Shrek. I have Please announced. explain. See, so you're working. So when we do our
2: live shows, we step a little bit outside of the Disney that's canon. That's not
0: a little bit outside. No, that's
2: very no, it's, outside. It's very relevant. Last time we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah, that's relevant. which has direct Disney connections. Yeah. Uh, and it was like the part of the timeline that we were at and it included lots of the characters. This, we spent our most recent run of episodes doing the Renaissance, the Disney Renaissance. Jeffrey Katzenberg, a key figure, a key Ooh. insane Diet Coke chugging figure Look at through you the being Disney Renaissance. Sneaky. Then he leaves the studio, sets up DreamWorks, Dreamworks makes works, Shrek. SKG. SKG, Spielberg, Katzenberg, Geffen. Correct. And uh, makes Shrek and they... Quite literally, smear shit all over the Disney legacy and basically change the course of Disney's next twenty years. So it's 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 relevant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Disney vs. Right, doing Shrek, eleven thirty s- sat- Saturday morning. Saturday so you night can
0: make a day of it as you want. But again, just to be clear, as both of your lawyers, you do not have to buy tickets Don't to all that. three of these shows in order to come to any one of them. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Anyway, that's our news section, our self-serving news section for ourselves done by the way new issue of empire came out on sale last week it's still on sale it, Everywhere, it is do go and have a look it's a very good issue i was just reading about rebel moon that's not rebel moon it's a magazine <laughs> also this week there were some very exciting trailers now i know you're gonna be chomping a the bit to talk about one of them then i wanted to start with napoleon though
1: because it came out first yeah. and it's
0: you know chronological it so was this- dynamite
1: i loved it <laughs> Ooh là là, it
2: was très bien.
0: Très bien, voilà. Uh, it was, of course, the first uh, real look we've had at um, Ridley Scott's uh, Napoleon biopic, which has Joaquin Phoenix as the Emperor himself um, and Vanessa Kirby as the Empress Josephine, and um, a whole heap of extras being blown up with cannons.
2: You come to this podcast, I assume, for like. Analysis and for intelligent commentary on, on movies. <laughs> uh, my main thought is, oh my god, this looks big. It, it does, looks so doesn't it? like crazy big, crazy big, crazy French, all of that good stuff. Because Ridley did like historical drama not too long ago with the last Mm duel which had a couple of like epic battley bits as well as obviously lots of one-on-one fighting but it wasn't like a big load up the cannons send in the horses swoosh the swords around let's go on a lake and fall through the ice like big battle sequences shooting at the pyramids and all sorts of mad
1: honestly the part of me felt just physically sick at seeing the destruction of a beloved wonder of the world but you know it's fine
0: I mean, he wasn't going to destroy it with just a gun. Like, you know, I feel like we're okay with that one. They're still there.
1: They are still there. Spoiler. Pyramids still exist. Um. But yeah. yeah,
0: it's very much a return to kind of the duellists era from very early in his career, um, but on a much yeah. bigger scale. It feels like
1: it has that kind of gladiatorial scale to mm-hmm. it, which just and and you know I wasn't quite sure what to expect from this, and I had a little bit of trepidation. But this, by the end of this trailer, I was like, oh, sign me yeah. up for the cannons and the ice and the people falling through and the drama. I
0: mean, what the what the ice scene shows, of course, is that he fell prey to one of the classic blunders, which, as we all know from the Princess Bride. Never stage a
1: land war in Asia.
0: Never get involved in a land war in Asia. That's yes, correct <laughs> and genuinely that is um, a classic military blunder. But um, but yeah, that that my, I have a couple of uh, tiny maybe not quibbles or, or worries about it. Um, number one, it seems to be covering a whole heap of his life, and uh, you know that could end up feeling kind of baggy and loose, and and also just baffling if you if you jump about too much on the timeline and and try and fit too much in because he did have an extraordinary. Convoluted rise to power and then, you know, time on the throne and everything else. Um, I'm also not entirely comfortable with them casting somebody 13 years younger as Josephine, uh, his wife, when she was very famously older. Like, it's not always a big issue. Mm. I know how Hollywood works, I get it. I realize also that Joaquin Phoenix will be playing Napoleon throughout his life. However, I don't think that means you need to cast somebody younger. Than he is as Josephine because you could also get someone to play a different age. It just it it, it 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 is really slightly annoying to me and and slightly a missed opportunity actually. Um, and then yeah, I guess you know I didn't notice a lot of Greenwich in there. Um, so it's going to be fun for those of us who come from South East London uh, to sit and watch. Yep, yeah, Greenwich. Greenwich, also Greenwich, <laughs> another part of Greenwich. Uh, the painted hole is in also there. also Greenwich. Probably also Greenwich. Mm. Honestly, I'm not ruling it out. But yeah, the painted hole is in there, and various views of uh, I think the old Royal Albert. Oh, <laughs> it was at the picture house, yeah. which yeah. is a
2: lovely, lovely, lovely picture, picture in house.
0: The dark sugar, the great chocolate shop.
2: Ooh, oh, very good ice cream. No wonder he invaded there. <laughs> um, I think this. As somebody who sometimes finds this stuff like a bit dry, Mm -hmm. the film itself or the trailer doesn't sell it as a dry history movie. It makes it look like an exciting and slightly off kilter tonally, like a slightly punky edge to the, the editing and to the sort of framing of, of the story itself. I think there's, it's just a joy as well to see Ridley Scott at the age of 85, 85. still making mega, mega movies like this. And he's mm-hmm. obviously pivoting straight from this into Gladiator 2. Yeah. He is still like massive level of ambition and that the writer of this, David Scarper, has also written the screenplay for Gladiator 2. Mm-hmm. So he has a really good sort of setup with this guy presumably i'm really intrigued to see what this film ends up being for its own thing because a ridley scott big historical war epic is something to be very excited about yeah. but also as a bit of a warm-up for gladiator 2 which i'm i'm tentatively hopeful for
1: yeah, yeah. gladiator 2 maximus velocity
2: oh yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was it um what was the name of uh fast fast movies in japan
2: wild speed
0: wild speed but what's the one with maximum in the title
2: wild speed max was fast and furious right. wild speed mega
1: max was okay fast five fast wild five. speed mega max
0: can and we do it can we do a then gladiator mega maximus with that yes
2: work? yes i mean they already did Rome in fast 10 hey. and it's i true. was entertained <laughs> when vin diesel <laughs> drove into the crane and the crane hit a bomb oh and the bomb went God. in the water and then no
0: spoilers uh, Amazing. We will discuss Roman car chases a little Ooh. bit later in the show. A little bit of a hint there to what might be getting an in-depth review this week. It's Mission Impossible. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh I I'm I'm very excited about Napoleon. I can't wait to see it. The other big, big trailer this week, of course, was Wonka. This is the prequel that literally no one was asking for uh-huh. to the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the story of how. Willy Wonka became a major chocolatier. Um, uh, they, then they cast Timothee Chalamet in the lead role and uh, Paul King as director. And suddenly we were like, I mean, maybe that's great. And then this trailer happened and revealed also our first look at Hugh Grant as, I think, all the Oompa Loompas, Yeah, At least
2: an Oompa Loompa. At least
0: an Umpalumpa.
2: That is bonkers.
0: It is bonkers. No, it's wonkers. Oh. <laughs> it is.
2: It is. Uh, yeah. Crazy choice. But I, I love that for Paul King, <laughs> who, you know, he chose making this over making Paddington 3, which is a huge mm. move. Mm. But I don't know. There's there's something here when you watch this trailer. You go, okay. I can see a bit of the Paddington DNA. Definitely a bit of Harry Very Potter. Very much so.
0: A few, DNA, a few A few um a few crossers of overs of actors from the Paddington movies,
2: including Sally Hawkins, who's Sarah been poached on from the Paddington mom. movies. Yeah, she has. Yeah, so she won't be in Paddington in Peru, but she is here as Wonka's mum in a, a brief shot in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like loads of great British comedians. Patterson Joseph from Peep Show. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Colman, also from Peep Show. Uh, other people who aren't in Peep Show. Matthew Bainton. <laughs> Kika uh, uh, Matt Michael Lucas, Key, who isn't King British, but, Key. you know,
0: it seems to be having fun. Great.
2: Paul King, it makes sense. I think uh, initially we were scratching our heads of like, why why is he doing this? Why is he not doing Paddington 3? But something that takes, you know, British iconography of stories that informed all of our childhoods and making it kind of new and relevant but nostalgic and whimsical you know it it makes sense I can see the vision when I see this trailer Mm. Um, I think I want to see a little bit more of like the musical side of the film because we see some dancing in the trailer some like big dance numbers and we know that this is at least in part, a musical. Yeah, Neil uh, Hannon.
0: Neil Hannon from music. The Divine
2: Comedy mm-hmm. is, is writing the songs and Paul King has spoken quite a bit about how the 1971 Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory was a big influence for him for what the world is the European influence of the town, the but also pure
0: imagination, if you will, the of the songs. Pure
2: imagination. There's, there's people drowning in chocolate. There's people eating chocolate and flying. But also that yeah, the, the seventy one film was kind of a musical, and then sort of stops being a musical. And then you mm. know, I think he's trying to do a similar thing here. But we don't hear any singing. We don't no, hear what the songs are going to sound yet. like.
0: I, I went to a, I went to a sort of launch event for the trailer of this. Now, first of all, like? it was super good. There was a Ooh. chocolate fountain. There was an entire wall of like pick and mix, <gasps> uh, which you don't usually get for free. There was a person selling flavoured, or not selling, giving away, flavoured, um, what do you call that stuff? Uh, candy floss? Candy floss, yes. Uh, canapes were going around. Like... It was. Candy pays. They had not. <laughs> they had not spared on this. This was a major kind of they event, no and expense. then they literally just showed us a trailer, um, and and so I was very sugared up at the time. Do bear that in mind. I thought the trailer was overly twee, and I didn't really get what it was going for until I saw the Hugh Grant uh, bit, um, but then Paul King came out and um, set like. He's he's saying the right things. He it sounds super good the way he describes the film he's made, mm. and I thought back and I remembered the first Paddington trailer was not. Well- as gorgeous as yeah. the film,
1: yeah. And I think this is what gives me hope. Like I could give the first fuck about Willy Wonka, but <laughs> but genuinely, I felt a little bit the same way about Paddington before the first Paddington yes. came out. Paddington and, was a meme. Creepy Paddington
2: yeah. yes. was a meme because was, of the trailer for the first film.
0: That was created by Ollie Gibbs from Formally Empire. from
1: Don't doubt him. Uh, yes, that was. Uh, it's absolutely true. But I, and 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 he made us fall in love with that character. Yeah all over again or for some of us for the very first time. So if you can pull the same trick with Willy Wonka, I mean, it's a long shot but it's possible and, you know, if it takes Moadib to sling spiced chocolates to do it, I'm, you know, I'm here for it.
0: Can I just say that uh, the... Timothy Chalamet on Twitter uh, announced this trailer with the simple tweet humpa lumpa Duperty grunt all in capital letters no further comment no link to the trailer no embed
2: i think it was his first tweet in like 5 months
0: <laughs> and it, it's i worth mean there, the is, wait. there isn't a wasted you know wasted letter a wasted syllable no. that is a perfect tweet well done to timothy chalamet mm. what more does he need honestly
2: and to say obviously n- if you're listening to this, chances are you weren't at the delicious, delicious event that Helen got to go to for this. But we did a trailer breakdown interview with Paul King that is on the website right now where we talked about casting Timothy Chalamet and what he's taking from the book and what he's taking from the 71 film and the casting of Hugh Grant, all sorts of stuff. He got into loads of detail and named characters who there isn't really much stuff out there about at the moment. So go and read that. That's on empireonline.com. And it was by me. It was. was I I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, don't tell me. Yeah, fair.
0: That's that's absolutely fair. Uh, what else was in the news this week? There was very excitingly a a picture posted on Ryan Reynolds' Instagram account mm. uh, from I think it's we're still calling it Deadpool three. We'll see if that name sticks. Um, but it showed Deadpool with Wolverine, and what was exciting about it, apart from the fact that Wolverine was in it, which I personally that's ten out of ten, no notes. He's wearing yellow and blue. People, he is in a yeah. traditional. Wolverine, comic-faithful costume.
1: Yes, he is, as they riffed on it in the first X-Men film. What, what did you want? Yellow spandex? Yes, yes he did. And yes. now he has it.
2: Now Only took 23 years, yeah. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, it, it's a cool pick. I mean, like, seeing the bright red Deadpool suits next to the yellow wolverine suit they kind of pop off each other it looks cool my main worry is that we know what happens when you get wolverine and deadpool together in a film during a writer's strike we know what the result of that ends up being
0: we've only got one example okay that is not enough for a scientific hypothesis i think his
1: mouth will be in this film but yeah, what who's writing the lines that he's saying James? No, I mean, th- does he need a script? In my experience of Ryan Reynolds, he, you know, it's
0: optional. Look, here's the thing, right? We now know, assuming that that wasn't a rap picture and we have no reason to believe that it was, shooting is now presumably suspended, Yeah. okay? So if they have time, right? If there was anything that they wanted to change during the last 2 months and they weren't able to because nobody could write, they have time. The chances are his history does suggest that both of these strikes are likely to be resolved at some point in a, in a fairly short space of time, as in the, the two strikes are likely to come together, you know, at a at a certain point and, and both be ended within a short space of time. I'm not saying there'll be short strikes, um, and that means that presumably the writers and the actors go back to work at around hopefully the same time, and therefore if anything needs to be judged, it can be judged. But what doesn't need to be judged is Hugh Jackman in that outfit. Yes, thank he, you.
2: He's got the pointy hair he's as got well. The he's got pointy little hair, hair points. Ugh. This at least justifies a bit because I think obviously, you know, we we like the Deadpool movies enough that oh, I think they're all right. Uh, and Ryan Reynolds is very good at doing this stuff, but the, the Logan send-off was so good that there really was a question of like is this the right move seeing Hugh in the yellow costume is a bit of a okay, I guess you never got to do this. And this could be something different and worth seeing.
0: Okay, this, this feels distinct from everything that's gone before. It doesn't feel like this is... And honestly, Logan didn't feel entirely like it was related to what he'd done before. So I feel like this can exist in its own universe. Speaking of its own universe, also in this film we learned this week is apparently Jennifer Garner as Electra. That's wild. And no one saw that coming. I don't care who you are there. I do not believe you saw that coming. You're going to have to show me a dated letter to yourself saying, I predict Jennifer Garner will be in Deadpool 3 because otherwise I'm not going to believe it.
1: Do we think Ben Affleck is <laughs> well, going to make an appearance as Deadpool That's what a lot of people have speculated.
0: I mean, would I mean, that there's be a, a
1: thing? It, it, it feels like that could get fraught, right? It, it makes me wonder if... Because we don't know
2: what this film really is no, yet. and I do wonder because they finally have access to all of the Fox characters mm. for the first time, if it might be Deadpool rounding up a bunch of Fox characters to crash into the MCU and be like, uh-huh. "Hey, what are you gonna do? What, like, what are we doing?" That would could make... be could be a deal because there's also there's been bits of rumors that the, the, the main one properly reported by reputable sources is the Jennifer Garner. Uh, bit, but yeah. there, there are rumors of other Fox, you know, uh, from the X Men movies, but bit of Fantastic Four and yeah, Daredevil Electra stuff being in the mix potentially for Deadpool 3 as well.
0: Mm.
4: Which would be interesting.
0: I mean, there is a, a photo online, I hope and believe this is not a spoiler, which appears to show the sort of ruins of the Fox logo, as in the big stone one at the beginning of the film. Huh in the background behind Deadpool and Wolverine in those okay. costumes. So that that would not seem completely impossible. And also, I mean, even thinking back to um the screening, this is a bit inside baseball, but the screening of Deadpool 2, when we went to see that a few years ago, I don't remember, time has no meaning anymore. <laughs> um, but they, you know, there's a letter on the screen before the film started, apparently from Deadpool saying, obviously, please don't post all the spoilers online. But the header of that letter was a crossed out Fox logo with TBD on it. So even at that point, they were making fun of the fact that Fox's ownership was uncertain and that where it ended up remain to be seen. So it kind of feels like it's something that they want to play with.
2: I mean, it's it's, it's a good idea for this, right? That if you're going to make a film that is the first film that brings Deadpool into the MCU, you make it about Deadpool crashing into the MCU in some mm-hmm. way. Make that the kind of text of the story. Um, that makes me more intrigued for this, because, yeah, I like what Ryan Reynolds does, but I, I don't love those movies. Yeah. So... Cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm properly optimistic. I just I'm I'm a I'm a Wolverine stan from way back.
1: I preferred Wolverine's brown and yellow costume, his sort of solo <laughs> costume, if I'm perfectly honest with
0: you. Nerd. I've got those books too, but you know, come on. We've had Madriper. I don't need him to stay oh, there. Oh, Patch. His entire, his entire movie. Um, I do feel okay. a
2: bit bad, sorry, just for Please. Hugh Jackman, though, because it was like, fine, I'll do it one more time. I'll get like absolutely ripped again and I'll play Wolverine one last time. And now he's got into that shape and he's just going to have to keep eating 10 chickens a day as long as this strike keeps going until he can start shooting again. <laughs> he's,
0: he's in many ways the real victim here, along with film journalists who yeah. are, of course, the real victims here. That's very yep. true. Um, but, uh, you know, here it goes. I mean this is going to segue perfectly cuz we're about to talk James Gunn and Marvel and then we're going to go into James Gunn and DC. I, I look I could not planned this better but cuz James Gunn and Marvel we've just been talking about Marvel characters and there were there was reports this week there were rumors uh that the Peter Quill spin-off that seemed to be hinted at at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 I guess that in itself is a spoiler but <laughs> you know beyond that I don't know how to uh, how to cover this but uh but apparently james gunn has been talking this week and said we always wanted to give somebody a little something special chris and i forever have talked about how great it would be to do a legendary star lord movie with him on earth trying to adapt to earth in the same way that anyone else might try have to uh, try to adapt to an alien environment in space um and and apparently that's that's something that might actually happen presumably not soon given everything <laughs> But that is that is what he's been kind of talking about, apparently. And that's the reason for that Star-Lord-Will-Return mm. card at the end it's of the It's funny,
1: film. I love the character and I'd like to see more of him. Weirdly, that's not the environment that most appeals to me. That kind of inverse sort of fish out of water thing. I just, I I love the galactic nature of the Guardians films, the fact that they're batshit and bonkers and colorful and cosmopolitan, have all these different aliens and crazy shit in them. Mm-hmm. And I think when you strip all that out and you have an Earthbound thing, I'm sure he'll find a way to, to weave this stuff in, but it feels like it, it lacks some of the crucial, you know, je ne sais quoi. The other issue that is that things... it presumably
0: wouldn't be James Gunn in charge of it also because true. of, well, yeah. what we're about to get well, into. Well, indeed. Yeah.
2: I like the idea, though, of a two-hour movie of Star-Lord discovering Spotify.
0: <laughs> and he's just like listening to
2: decades of music. Um, and I am not affiliated with the WGA, so I can write that. I can write an outline if you want. I can write the track list. I'd be Amazing. happy to do that.
0: Amazing. You're such a, such a giver. I'm you a really are. a
2: philanthropist at
0: heart. <laughs> Well, we spoke of James Gunn, and that brings us, of course, to Superman Legacy, which he is working on over at DC. So there was a lot of uh, casting announced this week. So, uh, first of all, somebody who I feel like was in superhero conversations, Superman conversations, uh, not that long ago, but it's, you know, we're, we're, let's be honest, very old now. But Nathan Fillion mm-hmm. is apparently uh, in talks to join the cast. Isabella Merced and Ed Gutheggi, um are joining. And then there came the word that um, Barry's Anthony Carrigan would be joining. I mean, I don't wish to profile, (laughs) but would he perhaps be up for Lex Luthor?
1: Well, no, he's the character he's attached to has been named, haven't they? That's yeah, right, I yeah. it has, and it, it's it's
2: not. Despite his magnificent bald head, um, he won't be Lex Luthor. He's going to be Metamorpho, who a is character a deeper cut, absolutely than heard of. I am aware of.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's an archaeologist turned hero called uh, Rex Mason in his nom de non superhero, um, and uh, can transmute elements in his body into various forms, taking those properties as powers starts off on the path of heroism became a detective and a founder member of the Outsiders well I'll be honest that is a deeper cut Um, yes
1: it is although Nathan Fillion is going to be Green Lantern and we've all heard of him so that's good
0: I am familiar yes Yes. Um, let us hope for a happier experience for his Green Lantern than others who played the character indeed Uh, Isabel Merced will be Hawk Girl and Gathegi is going to be Mr. Terrific what's a character name I mean,
2: uh, James Gunn is making good on his word of like, oh, I'm going to dig out some of the weirder characters that DC has not made use of on the big screen. And he has track record of
1: making those into household names. Mr. Terrific is definitely one of them.
0: Hey, he's a skilled warrior and one of the world's most brilliant tacticians and inventors, I'll have you know. I would hope
1: so with that name.
0: (laughs) But yeah, that's and Hawk Girl. You know, we've had uh, we've had some Hawk experience recently in the DC universe. Yeah, who's Um, the
1: Hawk guy in in Black Adam? Hawk, Hawk guy, Hawk man, not Hawk eye, not not Hawk guy, but Hawk man, the Hawk, a Hawk. The- Street Hawk. Oh boy. I don't know. Tony Hawk. Tony, Tony Hawk's hawk. Pro Skater 2. <laughs> I don't remember what his name is, but he's definitely got hawk like properties. <laughs> Good Lord. He wasn't the
2: falcon, he was
1: a different kind
0: of bird. Jeez. He, is, eagle. he is Hawkman. Hawkman! Oh, yes. There you go. And he was played by Aldous Hodge.
1: Yeah. Oh boy. It's almost, I mean, how they come up with these names. He looks like a hawk, he's a man. I've got it. Wait
0: for it, guys. <laughs> I mean, it still took you like 20 That tries, is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Is there any other news as we all batten down the hatches for a long night of waiting for?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. This might be the last bit of news for a while. We should find some. Mm.
0: Well, there was a Blue Beetle trailer as well, um, which emphasized uh, or tried to emphasize that it will be fun and not angsty. I feel like these trailers are giving away a whole lot of that film.
1: Yeah, it does point. give that impression, doesn't it?
0: So um I, I, you know look I, every day is Christmas Eve, I'm really hoping for the best for it, but it's it's in that weird limbo between DC regimes and uh, which has not you know helped yeah. the last couple of DC films. So you know, at, at this point I just hope it kind of breaks that cycle a little bit and breaks out.
2: We have one more trailer that we haven't discussed which has made my week. Which is the Ahsoka trailer? Oh my the god! I can't believe we're talking about that. So good. It does look amazing. It looks so good. And as a, as a newly minted Rebels fan, uh, I am. S- I was already getting really excited about seeing those characters hopping across to live action. But there is stuff stated or mentioned in this trailer, particularly that maybe go. <gasps> When I watched this at home, uh, there was nobody around to hear me loudly gasp, but you probably could have heard it from about a mile away when Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian who is part of the Ghost crew, uh, one of the main characters from Rebels who's kind of porting across to live action here, played by Natasha Lou Bordizzo, she refers to Ahsoka as Master, as in she was being trained by Ahsoka in an unspecified period of time, presumably post the Rebels epilogue. Between then and now, the start of this show, there is a lot of history there uh, because we've seen her with Ezra Bridges' green lightsaber he is off missing somewhere, having been transported halfway across the galaxy by the big old space whales, the Pergil, who you see in this trailer. They look absolutely gigantic and ethereal, and we get a proper look at Thrawn for the first time. I, I-, I was one of those lucky people who got to see Thrawn's face at Celebration when they showed like an extended version of the trailer yeah. uh, at the room in Celebration. So I, I had seen his face already, as as people have pointed out, it's, it's Lars Mickelson with a blue face. Some people seem to think he looks a bit like Elon Musk. We're going to gloss over that. They're not wrong. They're not,
0: they're they're not, not wrong. That wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: he does. Uh, very much. But it's a great trailer. It is a great trailer. It looks really exciting. It looks like a really good mix mm. of. There's a lot of emotional undercurrents that come with this. Long-running character, well, the Ray Stevenson stuff especially, because. Yeah. Again, I was lucky enough to speak to him at Celebration and he was so full of energy talking about this show and talking about getting a lightsaber and how he immediately was swinging it around and going vroom, 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 and then felt a bit embarrassed about it and they were like, don't worry, everybody does that. He was so thrilled to be in this show, to be in the role that he was playing. So that is absolutely going to have some emotional heft to it. Mm. But also for for Ahsoka, for this really long-running character, to, you know, get her own show. And for all these characters that people have a lot of attachment to from the animated series coming through, it's going to have a lot of emotional heft. At the same time, it is big, colourful, poppy Star Wars. in A different kind of register to something like Andor.
0: Yeah, and I think it's good that if they keep mixing it up like that, I think you have to do that. I think Marvel, apart from anything else, has shown them that. If you're going to keep people coming back for different TV shows, different movies, you need to keep... Each one distinct, give each one its own energy, give each one its own kind of selling points. Um, she looks fantastic as a Soak. I'm really excited about that. I'm still traumatized because, as, as, as someone who has not watched her entire comic book background, I once tried to read the Wikipedia page. It is longer than War and Peace. I swear to God, that is the longest single page of the internet I think I've ever seen. Anything.
2: So I haven't seen Clone Wars yet, but I've seen all of Rebels. And whenever I've tried to read stuff about Rebels, it's so dense and the amount of information is ridiculous and then you just watch it in the show and you're like okay cool that makes sense I get it
0: (laughs) it's like like less effort to to
2: end up watching it than it is to read it if you are like me uh, several months ago and had not seen any of Rebels around Celebration I started watching it and I watched the whole thing in a month which was not even like oh I'm gonna spend every second of every day watching this I just you know stuck one on stuck a couple on they are short I guess they're quite short so if you are trying to get caught up for August 23rd I believe is the premiere and it's a two episode premiere of Ahsoka so they're gonna drop two episodes at the same time end of August you do have time you know depending on your lifestyle to catch up on rebels in that time it's doable i did it Mm. you too could watch the whole of the blur blur before ahsoka (laughs) arrives then you'll be as excited as me when sabine wren says master and you'll go (gasps) and everyone (gasps) will hear it
0: yes okay look forward to it but i also looking forward to to the show it looks it was a really fun trailer and i'm even as someone who knows nothing i am excited to see more uh shall we have a guest Why not? Why not indeed? Let us enjoy the company of actors while we still have them. (laughs) Uh, Simon Pegg, of course, is an old friend of this parish. Uh, He's been a part of the Mission Impossible films also since the third film. And Rebecca Ferguson, of course, joined on the fifth. So who better to come along and tell us everything we could possibly wish to know that isn't a spoiler about the seventh No one better. There is no one else who could possibly be better um, because everyone else who could possibly be better was flying off a cliff at the time. So we sent along Chris, of course, to have a chat with them both. Um, So please enjoy.
4: Hey everyone, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick because you can't get rid of me that easily. But also, I just wanted to tell you that the interview with Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson you're about to hear, while not being a spoiler special interview, does delve into some plot points of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, so if you haven't seen the film, perhaps it's best to hold off until you have before coming back and listening to this. Of course, if you have seen the film, or you don't care a jot about spoilers, then dive on in. This is a very, very fun interview with two people who are having a bit of a giggly day.
5: And me as well. Enjoy.
4: Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson. How are you both?
5: We are very well, Chris Hewitt.
4: I get, mean, get, I get. am
3: fantastic and excited to be here.
4: Uh, excellent, we're excited to have you here, um, Simon. I'm loving your
5: hair. Thanks. Yeah, I went full Tim Bisley for the for the press tour. You store. did. What was
3: what bleached. was the
4: thinking behind
5: this? I had the same haircut for three years, like because right. of shooting this movie and being in continuity constantly. And I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to have blonde hair for the press tour.
3: I can say that you did it, Rebecca. I'm going to take charge of this one. Yes. Because I did it first.
5: You did do it but first.
3: no one's asked me about it. All I lobbed all of my hair off and I bleached it.
4: Right. Okay. Um, from yeah. Amy just around. stuck a wig oh, on
3: you true. when she yeah, yeah. And then they put a wig on. Yeah. yeah. But, but yours is more in our faces. Amy, Amy our,
5: our makeup designer, when yes. she saw it at the screening of the film the other night, she right. just looked at me and her, her little jaw just dropped. Like, <laughs> what have you done? Because, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, it's obviously still got things to do. Yeah, but it's fine.
4: You got it's wigs not like and you stuff. Took away a and this is a spoiler yeah. special, isn't it? No, this is just a general oh, chat. Okay. What was your Act of Rebellion and the, the hair? Once once the once the you knew that you were not going to be filming Dead Reckoning Part 1 anymore. That was it.
3: No, I did it before that.
4: You did it before that. Yeah. Oh my god. There's <laughs> so an Act of Rebellion in the
0: middle. Just of... in the
3: middle. I was <laughs> no. like, well we were supposed to rap and then we were supposed to rap and then we were supposed to rap and I think we get to a point where it's like there's no more rapping unless I rap it myself. And then we kind of lopped it off and colored it. And they were like, that's great. We've got a wig. So if you just come back.
5: Yeah, you were trying to force like a, like a fait complete. I needed, I Sorry, needed to get out for, to do another show for <laughs> two blonde seconds.
3: Blonde. But um, I mean, I kept on shooting. I think I had I shot a couple of months ago. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah.
4: Like right up to the end. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Right. Are you worried in case McHugh comes crashing in here and tries to film some more? Just in love
3: it though. We embrace it. We do. I'm yeah. always ready.
5: Yeah. Kill it's always fun move. when you get, you get the call, like you've still got a little bit to do. He was kind of, you know, the best, the most fun we have is when we're on set. Waiting around to go on set can be maddening, but when we're on set, it's just the best. And what what, what do you do? I,
4: I've been on set with you. I know, that, yeah. you know you sit in in Jeff quite a lot. I sit in my Jeff chair. You luxuriate. He but gave I'm, a
3: Jeff chef to all of us.
4: I did. No way. Yeah, yeah. we
3: were all given a Jeff chair. Oh actually, Tom and I were given
5: Jeff. Yeah, I gave him a
3: Jeff <laughs> It wasn't on this film. We were less less cast.
5: When, when me and Tom... <laughs> Ving and Rebecca are together when when that little foursome yeah. is, is united it's always a hoot because we're like with the new kids and I love them all and they're all brilliant and they all bring something new but because we've done like a bunch of you know I've done five she's done three Ving and Tom have done them all yeah. we
3: know it we just know, know the drill. and we
5: get into the room together and it's just like there's no we hit the ground running it's just it's such a and joy. I also
3: think because we're figuring things out you know there is an agenda yeah. there is a story it's in McHugh's brain it's yes. about kind of bringing it out and, and kind of understanding it but on set it's kind of that's where we find it yes. so we play sometimes yeah. I want
5: to hit Q, McHugh in the head to see if the story just falls out <laughs> yeah. repeatedly with an iron bar
3: <laughs> comes out as a cue card <laughs>
5: Just comes trickling out of his ear. Oh, that's,
3: that's what really- we're doing. Thanks. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, was it was this this easy camaraderie? Was it always there right from the off? And have you guys, you know, or was there like a uh, an initiation process, a uh, sort of getting to ease your way into this franchise? No.
3: Bang, slam, straight on, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, when I
4: met Rebecca. <laughs> In Sorry, I can't say that. Wham, bam, bam, I mean, thank you, ma'am. But it was extravagantly wrong, but I loved it. I
3: know.
4: <laughs> what was what Extra- what I can't <laughs> do it. Again. What do <laughs> <laughs> so it's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But you actually said, I think
5: <laughs> this is one of Rebecca's strange Swedish mutilations Spanish. of a it's British not even expression.
3: Swedish. It's what I try and figure. I
5: don't know. I remember meeting Rebecca at Leaves in Studios, and she got out of the car or I got out of my car, and we were introduced for the first time, and she was immediately just ebullient and friendly and fun, and you were. and I, well, I just, you were. I remember it being, it was quite exciting, you know, because we were starting a new mission film, that's always exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and you were, you know, new to, the, new to the series, so that's always fun when you meet the new people. And I was people.
3: probably super nervous, and it's Simon Pegg, and, you know, yeah. it's sort of, who are you amongst all of these already established characters? You know right. that's always the question: What can you bring? So
4: there is a sense of tentativeness on your part. Tentative-ness. For me,
3: it's sort of: How? Ha- what can I deliver? What yeah. can I deliver to suit the environment? Sort of: yeah. What is? But at the same time, I I didn't feel that pressure. It was always there. You know, you're not working against something with with mission with mm. Tom and McHugh, or even with with Simon and Ving. It's all there, open for grabs and ideas and and. It's a very safe, fun environment. Hence, why this works so well. I'm doing shaking my hands and showing if, Simon Pegg in a the physical Rebecca motion. Is shaking
5: her hands. <laughs> I remember being on the set of Mission <laughs> Three when Tom came out for. The, I met Tom for the first time on set. I didn't even meet him before because it was like a, I, came, I came in to do like two days, and he walked on set with Ving, right? Both of whom I, you know, obviously were hugely aware of uh, as as a fan of film. And they both made me feel so at ease, and I had this massive monologue which I couldn't get right. I got I got it the day before, and it was all about the rabbit's <laughs> the foot, fucking and rabbit's deity, god, or that kind of De-Sand stuff. Desalinated
3: seawater. water. De-Sand, that's
5: Rebecca's <laughs> little uh, little mountain she <laughs> to climb. But I, and, but Tom never made me feel like I was fucking up. You know, and, and he never made me feel anxious. He didn't. All he did was made me feel. Calm enough to, to, to just concentrate always. and deliver lines.
3: And always ending it with, Are you happy?
5: Yeah, yeah. Are
3: you happy? Do you want another I mean, one?
5: That's a big question.
3: I know. And you go, I don't fucking know. Do I? I Do don't know, you? Tom. Am I happy? <laughs> am I happy, Simon? And Simon's going, Yes, you want to just, say yes. <laughs> just say
5: yes. <laughs> just say yes. Just say yes.
4: Am I happy, Tom? Let me lie on Jeff and think about that for a few minutes.
5: <laughs> yeah, now I'm just all about having a nap and playing Candy Crush. It's different, different times now. Yeah, it's very, yeah. Very, yeah it's, it's talk anymore. Absolutely. So,
3: <laughs> Sorry. So,
4: uh, so what was your first day and what was your last day on this movie? Avoiding spoilers in case there are any lurking within.
3: No, because we don't really shoot in orders Order? of things um but i think my first day was we're in venice and it was before the pandemic and i have a fighting sequence a sword fighting sequence yes. with isai morales and um i have to do a roll up on him and i kill a thigh move and i think we were going to do that as a first take and i trained and i was stretching and i was ready and then they were like it was like just getting ready to jump. And they went, we have to pause production. We don't know why people are wearing masks. Something's happening.
4: Shit. You were literally mid-air when they, Mid, when they, when they passed. Mid-air like pulled the plug. Yeah.
3: And I actually remember my husband was there and we were yeah. like... Okay, so we're not filming. Should we go skiing? You know, should we yeah, leave our I remember daughter? You said do said you, you were going to do that. Yeah. You know, should we leave our daughter and the nanny in the hotel and just go skiing for a week? <laughs> not that I go skiing whilst filming films like Mission because I've signed <laughs> contracts and I would never do such a thing. It's dangerous. It's really dangerous. I never go snowboarding every year in January. No, you have never gone <laughs> snowboarding ever.
5: Never. No. Didn't break my finger? Nothing. Nope.
3: That was my first day. What was your first day?
5: My first day was was the mountain in, in Norway. That It was that we oh, shot jump. the we shot the B-side. I did the offlines. I sat on a, bo- a camera box behind the camera while Tom was on the edge of the cliff on the right. motorbike. Okay. And I was giving him all Benji's feed lines because, of course, it's Benji that sends him up on that incredible, you know, um, feat that he has to achieve. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, Tom did the bike stunt six, six, four, four times, I think, that day. And um, we all stood up there. In fact, everybody came how up, everyone, up. How did you get up? How did you get up the mountain? Yeah. We got up to the mountain in a helicopter.
3: So he would fly down...
5: He would jump off, jump off, parachute, land, and then jump helicopter. In the helicopter it would bring him up up again. <laughs> that was the reset.
3: Oh, it's so it's so Tom. Yeah,
5: I know. <laughs> and then he would, and then he would do it again. But we, we, I do actually, I do have footage on my phone of it, which I, as soon as I'm allowed, I'm going to put it on my Instagram. <laughs>
3: yeah, because it's, gonna sort of, be the it's best. him going
5: along, and you can hear us all You're
3: going. The... <laughs> can you imagine? So, was... well, do you think? Do you think they shot that scene knowing that you know it's a. It's not a 50-50 that he survives, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite dangerous. Even it's, though with yeah. all the precaution and everything, oh, yeah. we've all seen the scissor reel. Yeah. To start it off with that.
5: Just in case. So <laughs> we don't shoot I'm loads of the film it and it's like... I'm just throwing out the
3: question. Whoops.
5: What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, so, so they'll have enough to release, just in case. Yeah, we, we did shoot the a 4 A lot of a, money, you know? A400? A400, yeah. Uh, the, on one of the first days. We tend to do the big stuff first. We get it out of the way. And sometimes it's because it's stressful for Tom... Knowing he's got stuff coming up, you know, like if he's, if his mind's on like, oh, I've got to jump off a cliff on a motorbike on Thursday, then Wednesday's going to be useless. I'm exactly the same. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you've got to do that kind of thing. I know. Yeah,
4: <laughs> All the time. Yeah. On the way here. <laughs> I think he
5: likes to, I think he li- also, the other thing is the way McHugh writes, you know, all those bits are, are kind of written in stone. They're, they're meticulously planned, thought out, but we don't always know how they're going to be. How they're going to link with each other? Yeah. When we shot the A400 in in Rogue Nation, we didn't know if it was the end of the movie or a middle set piece. And in the end, we just stuck it on at the front because we go, "I oh, get rid of it." Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just
3: I get didn't re- know get rid how this it. film started, and I'm not going to mention. I know if we can, but
5: oh, the whole thing with the with the festival, s- yeah. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. was miserable. I, I
3: hadn't, I <laughs> had no idea until I saw the movie. What's I was the like- submarine called? It's
5: called the slam bam, thank you ma'am The slam (laughs) bam, bam, thank you ma'am
3: Yeah, I had no idea It's a piece of ham I also remember in Rogue Nation there was a moment where I just uh, defibrillated Tom And I'm running out But we've shot the continuation of it in Morocco Yes Because we're doing a big chase scene And I run out and I'm sliding over the hood of a car And I'm going to do the sort of thingy-majiggy Where you get in with your um, fingerprint Mm -hmm. and, And McHugh goes, oh wait, stop you took the thing, right? And I go, what thing? And he goes, well, the thing that is the thing that, that is the whole thing that is humanity can explode kind of thing. Did you get it? And I went, but we don't know what it is, right? And he goes, no, but it's going to be about the size of a lighter. I don't know what it is, but just, Tom, grab, can we do a lighter, guys? And I had to just hold a lighter, which is basically the key, I think, to the list of important names yeah, before they yeah, get fastened yeah, yeah, and yeah. killed and...
5: And yeah. he just, I mean, I it. It, he's a mystery to me because he kind of, he holds all this stuff in his head, you know, and at any one time I'll say, so what happens next? And will go, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And he genuinely doesn't know, but he, he, he's such a problem solver. He thrives on, on, on being yeah. put in a position where he has to solve the problem because he invariably makes the best decision in that situation. It's, well, it's,
4: it's interesting because, uh, you know, I've I spoken to him a bit about this movie already, and he said that on that, that first day when Tom, you know, gets on his bike, drives off a fucking ramp, and, <laughs> and parachutes down a cliff. I mean, it's just, it's you know, typical Wednesday, as you know, but yeah. uh, that he knew, they knew that Tom was going to do that, but he didn't know why right. he was doing that yeah. or what he was parachuting onto. Away from yeah. towards. Yeah. And he found out as the film went on. Which he means, what, film, what were your lines
5: then at that point? And did, and did they change your feed oh no, lines? He, did, he definitely knew he was trying to get on the train. Okay. But we didn't know. Uh, all the other sort of connective tissue and minor details weren't filled in. No. It was just, it was the bare bones of the piece that was, uh, you know, versatile enough to be able to 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 kind of maneuver into a, a, a well, I guess, a what you call a story. Thing. Yeah,
3: um, <laughs> You never know where it's going to be placed either. Yeah. So even when we have chasing scenes, it's sort of, you don't have to ask if you're running away or towards something. You're just running. You just run.
5: The first thing I did just was run. Uh, mm-hmm. My first day of sh- actual shooting, I think, or my first day in Venice, it was. I was on a boat. None of it's in the film, annoyingly. Uh, I was in on the boat, and I'm racing to try and find Ethan. And McHugh was just sat on the the front of the boat, just going, "Say, uh, say, I can't see you. Say, <laughs> uh, it's on the fritz. I can't, I can't make out where you are." say like he's just trying oh, so and I was I am I, I, I was like why why am I saying this what's happening
3: don't ask just say it it's gonna be great trust me
5: you do that's what you have to do you have to have trust him have you got him.
3: the thing in your hand it's about yay big
5: yeah it's big as a lighter <laughs> I do I mean I thing is I do trust him implicitly and I do trust that he will figure it out because he always does yeah. at times on this one it felt like we came closest to it not getting figured out you know because mm-hmm. we were up against it so much and the puzzles just seemed, you know, the, the, the obstacles seemed insurmountable, but he always does it. It works. It works does. nicely. Mm-hmm. Last day on this movie. Rebecca, what was your
4: last day? It was about a week ago. <laughs> um,
3: I actually have a video of it, of, a, of, a, of that filming for various reasons. But my last moment was... It's the sequence where Ilsa finds the key. It's a tiny little cut where you're filming through a grid and there's a oh, man yeah. with a key around his neck and there's a fight sequence of her. Do you remember? It's a very quick flash when they oh, do the yeah, storytelling. Yes, yes when they, and take they the say, key. Oh, Ilsa killed someone and grabbed the key and you see me do a, little, a quick little a manoeuvre little, in a corridor. A
5: thingy. Up the stairs. And then you shoot him real close like shoot John Wickstall. <laughs> yeah, it's so
4: cool.
3: And uh, And then I grab the key and I look down. That was my last...
4: That was my last. Wow! And Was that it? Was a packed with, with emotion for you, or was it very much and then out? No, it was more of a.
3: <laughs> 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 that was me showing <laughs> emotions.
4: Oh my god, uh, Simon,
5: your uh, last day. My last day. Weirdly, it's next Thursday was, <laughs> has not come yet. <laughs> it hasn't come. No, it was on the bomb sequence. Funnily enough. Uh, in the airport we we came back to that that scene many many times um, just because we were sort of like adding little bits and pieces but there was a line when we originally shot it when the bomb asks Benji a personal question it's in the moment where the bomb is trying to figure
3: out who you are yeah Yeah.
5: it's the psychometric test thing and the question that the bomb asked didn't go down well with the test crowds it they 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 felt
3: what was the question can I ask
5: the bomb asks Benji if he's ever thought about hurting himself or others. It's like a classic question you ask oh, wow. people in a, okay. in a psychiatric exam, right? Oh, it's like a psychopath, psychopath. And Benji says no, and the bomb tells him that he's lied. And so Benji has to admit that he's kind of self-harmed. Shit. And the audience fucking hated that idea. They hated the idea yeah. that Benji... So we changed the question to, are you afraid of death? Which actually came up with a great moment when he says,
3: who isn't? But yeah, that... that... Oh, that would have had a very dark...
5: It was too dark. And yeah. my score, my character score went up like 10% after they took that question out. Wow.
3: Really? Yeah,
5: yeah. Happy Do you lucky know Benji? your score? No, but McHugh told me that, that that was, you know, each character gets a sort of score of no, how I know. people are what responding. You know, I'm saying it. I'm saying it for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> for
3: the listener. <laughs> what was my
5: score? saying it for the listener. Hi, hey, Brian. How's but it going? You were a solid 42. Okay, great. And Thank no. you. Out of? 100. Oh, my God. Uh no, you would have been through the roof, Rebecca. You know everybody loves Rebecca.
3: God, that's so funny with a question. But it was and because that because that question darkness was of that, Yeah. Cuz we, we were that get, in getting
5: We were getting into this idea of PTSD and Benji had been almost killed in Fallout. Yeah. Ilsa saved his life and we were talking about how this has weighs on him, you know, and how he yeah. was kind of close to the edge in a few earlier iterations of the script, you know, Benji was having moments of of doubt and, you know, that in in the end, that stuff kind of felt like it was it wasn't really necessary, and we wanted to concentrate on the team dynamic, and and in, have the audience infer certain things about where they are, you know, emotionally and stuff. So that felt a little too on the nose, and we moved on from it. Guys, I'm being
4: wrapped up. I got let you go. go. Uh, I was going to ask, are you afraid of death? As a one last question, are you afraid of death?
3: I'm not ready for death yet.
4: I wasn't
5: offering. But. <laughs> Chris also doubles up as a part-time yes, assassin. We'll <laughs> just whip up a stiletto and stuff I'm in the I'm not there. ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. It's not death, I'm afraid of. It's the pain of dying. You know? It's a spoiler special interview afterwards.
3: Really? Is that <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Can, I, can I say, I think it's because of my children. I, I feel, I think for me, I look at my daughter and I look at my son, and I think my grief is to not see them. Oh, yeah. yeah. There it lies, my, not the pain, not the stuff, you know, we can go yeah. quickly or whatever. Yeah. But it's not seeing them.
5: When you have kids, you grow another heart. You have another heart beating in the world. That's another life of yours that's beating in the world. That terrifies me. Anyway.
3: On that happy, happy, note, happy, happy, happy note, podcast. Mission Impossible
5: <laughs> Dead, Reckoning Part One. It's all fun. It's been a slam
4: bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of interview. <laughs> we have
0: to get that right. <laughs> thanks so
4: much indeed, thank you, Chris. Uh, I, whatever you said, it was amazing. Rebecca, <laughs> Simon, thanks. Cheers, thank buddy. You. Thank you.
0: Uh, right. And that was Simon Pegg and Rebecca Ferguson talking about Mission Impossible, of course. If you want to know more about that film, I can hugely recommend uh, signing up to our spoiler special channels where we will have the most in-depth interviews, I think humanly possible, <laughs> with Chris from Quarry, the writer-director, uh, talking about everything involved in the film. Um, part one has already been recorded, of course. Part two is they are trying to schedule. <laughs> God help them. Uh, he's also still trying to make part two of Dead Reckoning, so you know scheduling could be a problem, but it is something he's determined to make happen. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It is in depth, it is exhaustive, and uh, Chris exhausted, exhausted himself doing it, so it's it's really really worth a listen. Uh, so yes, okay, uh, time now for reviews. Yes, all right.
1: Why not, indeed, Helen?
0: Shall we start with? Mission, on impossible, dash, dead reckoning, comma, part one.
1: The hunt for punctuation. <laughs> I choose to accept it.
0: Yes. This uh, review will self-destruct. It obviously came out on Monday, so we did mention it quickly last week. Mm. Um, I don't believe there's much doubt about where we as a, as a, as a podcast uh, individuals stand on this, but does one of you want to tell me what you think?
2: I think it is amazing.
4: It is so good. This is
2: my second favorite film of the year so far, just behind Spider-Verse. It is that great. Hard to disagree. It is more Mission Impossible from Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. So Ethan Hunt is back on another Impossible Mission. I won't say too much about the plot this time because they've done a very good job of keeping it hidden in the trailers. And just leaving it as a surprise for for the audiences to find out what that's about. But he is once again having to gather members of the IMF to take on uh, a mysterious entity, shall we say, um, related to various happenings that are happening around the world, which then means that Ethan Hunt and all of his peeps also have to go around the world to exotic locations to do crazy things in vehicles driving extremely fast, sometimes in places that vehicles shouldn't be. And it is stupendously exciting. I mean, I love uh, basically all the Mission Impossible movies, but this recent run that, that Macquarie and Cruz have been on with Rogue Nation and Fallout, for me, they absolutely continue that here in terms of just coming up with massively exciting set pieces, things that, you know, either are things you've never seen before or if they are kind of things you've sort of seen before, are done With such a level of finesse and with a level of attention to detail in every cut, in every camera angle, to show you real people in vehicles doing things that look insanely dangerous but I'm sure they have ridiculous amounts of insurance to make sure that everyone is fine um, you feel the viscerality of the action at the same time for the level of scale here it's such a funny film, it has like a capery tone, mm. it also brings in Haley Atwell as Grace who is like a thief who becomes entangled in the mission that Ethan's on and the way that Ethan and Grace play off each other and that she is able to kind of slip out of situations because she's got this kind of sleight of hand thing going on is so much fun. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is back as Ilsa Faust. Pom Clementieff is added to the cast here from uh, Guardians, Mantis from Guardians. And she plays an assassin called Paris. And in just Every single second of Pom's screen time, she is having the time of her goddamn life, getting to play this insane, cackling assassin who is on Ethan Hunt's tail. And just watching all of these stars get to play in this massive sandbox and feel the level of play, but also feel the level of precision to pull this stuff off and make it make you feel it in in the audience, make you feel the excitement in the cinema. Mm. I think that's what they do better than basically every other action franchise out there at the moment yeah. it hits you in such a
1: way yeah it's 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 pure cinema isn't it And but I think what's interesting is they've been quite I think open about the creative process in making these films about how yeah a lot of it is they start with the set pieces and they build a narrative around it and mm-hmm. it makes you know I think you could listen to that and you could think going into this oh it's just going to be a bunch of stunts tied together with some sort of like Glo- flimsy plot mm-hmm. but that isn't the case and actually the plot in this one I felt was really strong I thought it has real propulsion to it It feels very relevant and timely, Mm. very compelling. Uh, Really love that. I love the character work in this as well. So actually, it's not just incredible stunts, although it really does feature incredible stunts. And I think the beginning of Indy kind of showed us that, that at this point in time, you've never needed stars to do these stunts less on a purely technical level. But there is something so giddily exciting about seeing Tom Cruise do this and the way they shoot it in such a way that it's so obviously him doing it whether it's just landing a parachute or obviously riding a motorbike off a cliff or like hanging off a train it's all this stuff it is so exhilarating watching him do it and all the way through this like i was just like i was exhausted by the end of this film (laughs) absolutely exhausted by it and it was wonderful it was a wonderful like delightfully just just joyous cinematic experience and and everyone should go and see it yeah i'm
0: going to just agree with all that i agree also with every word of alex's review uh alex wrote the empire review and gave it four stars i personally would add an extra star but i think every everything he wrote is 100 correct um and and it just has so much energy this film like there's there's silent movie you know sort of gags and, and references in there i think there's looney tunes references in there there are bits that feel cartoony in, a, in a, the most wonderful way I, I just love its energy and it's verve and its nerve for sure. And uh, and yeah, it really is a great cinema experience. I had such a good time. I, I, you know, I I can quibble and have quibbled in our Sporter special, which is also recorded and will be up soon about aspects of the plot. But really, I was having too much fun to care. Even when I saw something, and I'm like, well, that makes no sense. I didn't care. It didn't take me out of it. I was just having a blast. So yeah, I hope you do too. That's Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1 out now in cinemas good and evil we say that right okay another film that is out already but it did not screen for critics um, and I had to go to an actual cinema to see it <gasps> last week I know it's, you're so it's, right? I, I like they didn't have my name on a list with the public I know I had to buy a ticket it was, I'm kidding um, no I, I went to see this basically at 9 45 I think it was at the Stratford View last week um, to see Insidious the Red Door uh, which is, of course, the return of the horror franchise. The last, I think, two installments of this have been prequels. Yeah,
2: three and four were set not long before one and two, and the connective tissue was Lynn Shay's character, yes. the psychic. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this is a direct continuation of two.
0: This is a direct continuation of two. So we're back with the Lambert family. Uh, so uh, Patrick Wilson's sort of father of Josh and his his, you know, previously also drifting into the the further son, um, Dalton, played by uh, Ty Simpkins, are both back. So we, we basically meet them at a funeral um, and the family has gone wrong since we saw them last. So I think where we left them last time was basically agreeing to get their memories of being able to astral project suppressed. So we get a little replay of that scene just to remind you, these guys have forgotten a thing they can do.
2: A thing they can do which was absolutely terrifying and they completely did not want to do because it took them to demony places and uh, Dalton the son was like that was the twist in the first one it's like it's not the house that's haunted it's your son is haunted Mm. because he keeps astrally projecting in his sleep into a place full of spooky demons
0: Exactly so uh, wouldn't you know it the combination of grief and the upset of kind of not upset but the upheaval of going off to college for the first time for Dalton uh, dropped off by his now somewhat estranged father um, leads the seams to come undone and leads these things to start happening again. And of course, neither of them is equipped or prepared for them to happen again because all the memories have been suppressed since last time. So it's basically, once again, the further reaching out to, uh, to you know, grab them in the nethers and cause problems for them. Uh, this I is hate direct- when the further
2: does that. I hate when <laughs> the further right. grabs me in the nethers
0: this is a uh, directed by patrick wilson so this is his directorial debut but it's obviously a situation a family of characters that he knows very well and i think he deals with all of that really really well i i didn't think all the scares were terribly scary. original yeah i mean not hugely scary and you know me i'm a massive scaredy cat but but also just like they felt a bit done there it's like oh it's a creepy little girl oh it's a oh it's a dark corridor hmm. oh what do you know the lights keep flickering and going off oh well that's that's a bit been there, done that. So, you know, there were elements like that that I was like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. But look, I mean, if you're if you're a completist, if you're a fan of the franchise, you know, it's worth seeing just to see where those characters have gotten to by now. Um, and I think it still has that kind of family, messed up family dynamic in this case, very messed up family dynamic. But it's it's good for a horror franchise like this to at least go back and try and reckon with some of the stuff that's happened in its past. Um, You know, we've talked in the past on the podcast about how most horror films would end with the person with the hero of the film being carted off to, at best, a psychiatric hospital, at worst, probably prison after being blamed for all the supernatural events themselves. And and at least this one is sort of trying to reckon with, well, what would you what would that leave your family with, you know? But still, having said that, I just thought it was a bit eh. so I give it two stars, this one.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen this yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Does it do anything as bonkers as Insidious Chapter 2, which does a really clever thing of like looping back into the first film and kind of crossing paths with things that we've already seen in a way that is really inventive. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping for some kind of level of invention here.
0: There's a level of kind of reference to that, but I... I would say no. Mm. Yeah, I, and and there is there is a Lynch, a you know appearance in one form. I'm not going to get into to any spoilers or anything, but uh, so everyone is kind of present and correct. Everyone's back. Rose Byrne is in there as well. Um, it I just I just didn't think it was particularly exciting. So yeah, two stars then for Insidious: The Red Door. Now there is another scary film out this week, and that is Bird Box: Barcelona, which hits Netflix today. James, you loved the fil- first film more than you love either of us.
2: That's very true. I saw the first film with you and I remember finding it like, <laughs> fine. We yeah. an okay time. We left the screening together and uh, you, I was like, yeah, that, that was all right. And you were like, that, was outstanding you were like in a reverie <laughs> about bird box and I, I was I happy for you i i often am in that situation it's true. on the other side
1: normally, i was about to say we're normally in <laughs> reverse over these things but to, to, to make sure so i really really was obsessed with bird box when it came out suzanne bia's film just really something about it just captivated me but i always thought that it kind of lost out by coming out in the same year as a quiet place i mm. felt i felt that it didn't get the respect it deserves. So I re-watched it to check if I was being a bit of a lunatic about it. And it stands up. It's still a masterpiece. I still love it. So I went into Bird Box Barcelona with a slightly sort of, I guess, weird mindset because this isn't really what I wanted. So Josh Malerman, who wrote Bird Box, also wrote a sequel to Bird Box called Mallory, which continues the adventures, if you will, of Sondra Bullock's character after she gets to where she gets to at the end of the first film. <laughs> Instead of... I don't know, adapting that, Netflix decided to go a slightly different route. And there could be another reason for this. Maybe they can't get Sandra Bullock again. Entirely possible.
0: And it's also not necessarily never going to happen. It just hasn't happened with this particular film.
1: Sure, except what they've actually done instead was instead of going to their creative department, it feels a lot like they've gone to their marketing department and said, guys, 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 I've got a global marketing strategy, guys, and it's this, and we're going to do a regional franchise spin-off starting in Barcelona.
2: Bird Box Barcelona.
1: Yes, Bird Box Barcelona, uh, to be followed by Bird Box Magaluf and Bird Box Santorini down the road. How Uh, dare you Look, it's... So essentially what you've got is... The same fucking film, but in Spanish. So but you love the film I know cool. but the thing is it's all the stuff that works so well about the first film so it's the shock factor what works about the show, like you get Sarah Paulson at the very beginning and then just kill her horribly and it's so viscerally upsetting because obviously it's like, like The Happening right? it's all about, about people killing themselves they see the aliens they kill themselves or see whatever these things are kill themselves and it's so shocking and it's so you know there's something about that like you get to know these characters and they're getting picked off by themselves essentially one by one during that film and in this you don't get any of that I'm like so this and I'm going to turn around the plot carefully mainly because yeah, this carefully. film has one ace up its sleeve and it's important that you don't really see that coming so uh this uh focuses on mario casas who plays a character called sebastian him and his daughter are kind of trying to wait their make their way to safety across the ruins of barcelona it takes place broadly speaking in the same time frame as the first film the first film obviously had uh, uh, a situation well because it's it's they both have dual timelines so the first film takes place the first film takes place uh, uh, uh you know during it's immediately after the outbreak and then it flashes forward to when she's on the river you know she's going to where she's going this one takes place a little bit later but then flashes back to immediately after the outbreak so it covers broadly speaking the same two rough time frames uh but the thing with this is a lot of the same beats seem to be it's very similar but just not as effective and my issue with a lot of these things are when you have a mythology that you try and demystify it just doesn't work for me. I, like, the mystery is what makes Bird Box so good. You don't know what these things are. It doesn't explain it. In here, it tries to broaden mythology, and I just thought made it feel very prosaic and very tedious as a man. I, went. I Helen am looks
2: flabbergasted by I every word so, you're saying.
0: I am so confused <laughs> by literally everything you're saying. On, it's like, did we watch the same film? Yeah. Okay. So, it's not a mythology. It's it's individuals' explanations for what's happening, but it doesn't actually.
1: Yes and it no. But the thing is, it's very difficult to have this I'm conversation. Gonna, yeah, I know what you're saying, that. the nature of them, yes. But the reality of what's going on around it is explored in greater detail, greater scientific detail. And I felt that took away from the overall mythology of the film.
0: Uh, uh,
1: we're not going to do a spoiler special we're on this but were we going to yeah. this would okay. be the discussion.
0: Okay. is there I'm a big
2: board back. on the wall that says it's sound
0: <laughs> no That's my favorite bit of a sound. quiet place <laughs> no <laughs> although, it's not
1: that there it's eyes there are some eyes, are some
0: <laughs> eyes graffitied around that Barcelona that is true so, so that I guess you
1: just love the architecture you like it's Barcelona although oh, were okay, you again. or were you not upset by the geography
0: I did have one issue with one place that they're trying to get to by one route when there is another route that would seem to me to be easier, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, I also, like, it's not quite the same timeline because she has a five-year-old in Bird Box when she's on the river.
1: Okay, okay, sure. And it's sure. been
0: nine months total in Broadly this Broadly
1: speaking. So, but, but what I'm saying is you have, you have the immediate aftermath of the thing and then you have a little bit further on. Okay, okay, that's... They're that's not exactly the same, not exactly, sure,
0: fine. sure. Um, uh, but I thought this was... Um, I just think that the things we're absolutely not going to talk about and the way that things are developed in this film and the way that people approach the monsters in this film was really different and really fascinating. And I very much enjoyed that. I thought this was head and shoulders above oh the first film. Oh my God, you're wrong. This is absolute. I, I really, <laughs> you really are so thought it wrong. was head and shoulders above the first film. I had so much of a better oh. time with it. Um, the things we're not going to talk about, I thought, were great. I mean, they're fine. And um, and and yeah, I I liked. I, I I I will go with you as far as like the last two minutes of the film, where I was a bit like, oh, I don't think we need to do that. But up until that point, I'm like super into it. Just, really good, by the way. We should mention uh, first of all the directors. This is the Pastor brothers, yeah, uh, David and Alex. Um, and it is uh, also stars the likes of. Georgina Campbell. We've got Diego Calva from fucking Babylon. Look, nothing against him. Babylon (laughs) (laughs) Hive. Come join me. Yeah, so I can
2: just... We're partying and we're covered in elephant shits.
0: Oh, boy. Anyway, so it is a good good cast, but I thought he was absolutely fantastic in the lead role he's
1: good he's and I this. think they what they do with this that they give you let's say an interesting perspective on mm. the event which is the one new idea that it has the only new idea hey. that it has uh, and I just I just felt like it, and that was great and I really liked that one aspect but again I didn't think you became invested in really any of the characters with oh, the no. sole exception of Sebastian and I just again all the way through I was like I've seen all this I've seen it done better I've seen it done with more emotional heft I've seen it done more stylishly and I've seen it better directed and it just felt I just felt like this film doesn't need to exist I do not need the first installment in a redundant regional franchise what I needed was the Mallory sequel I haven't seen this
2: yet and after this discussion I'm going to because I need to have a position on this my thoughts for now as somebody who hasn't seen this film is that Bird Box Barcelona is a terrible title. And I'm intrigued by the bird box element because the bird box is something that Mallory comes up with in the first film because she realizes that birds don't sing when the monsters are near. Well, dude, so she has a box They, they, they with go birds berserk in it.
1: when the monsters are near. That's it. It's yeah. the opposite.
2: They, they go, go crazy. So yeah. she has a box with some birds in it. Yeah. So, yeah. so that if the birds in the box
0: well, start to go... I mean, yeah. no spoilers, but this is a city, so there are pigeons. So. But are they
2: in
1: a box?
0: I mean... Maybe in a way, the box grid of the streets of Barcelona. Maybe
1: they're all in a box, Ben. Aren't maybe the Bird Box was yeah. the friends we made on <laughs> right. the way in Barcelona. <laughs> in Barcelona.
0: And maybe it'll be like Bird Box Bond next, Bird Box Bombay. Oh,
1: no, it's going to be like Bird Box Blackpool. That's next. Oh, that I watch, watch all of these. We're just going to see the outbreak in a bunch of sort of tourist destinations. And you're
0: saying regional like it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to not have every every international, you know, worldwide disaster happen in oh, the, the US. You with know?
1: you, 100%. And one of the things I really love about Amazon Prime is the power, which obviously is cheating is based on Naomi Alderman's book, but mm. the fact that it shows you this huge society-changing event from all these different international perspectives, yeah. I think that really, really works. It's
0: one of the great things about World War Z. Yeah, hundred well. percent.
1: Yeah, and I think that's great. Having a global perspective on things mm. is brilliant. But it just, it just felt like a really. You just term. love
0: Mallory and you just yes. wanted more of her story. Yes,
1: I want more of Mallory's story. Give it to me now.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, James, unfortunately for me, wrote the Empire Review. Yes, and You gave this. And
1: gave this a well-deserved two stars. You are an
0: absolute
1: two, monster. Two stars. Not. And if we're going to talk monsters, it's whoever gave the original Bird Box three stars when it's clearly a four.
0: It's a three. This one's a four.
1: Absolutely not.
0: I'm just gonna. uh, I'm not gonna spend a huge amount of time on this. But also on Netflix last week, The Outlaws dropped, and people may have seen the uh, the trailer for that one. This is the one. Yeah. Look, I mean, (laughs) okay. You know, we know. We all know where we're going with this, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. So
1: it's like the in-laws, but they're outlaws.
0: Yeah. What if your in-laws were outlaws? (laughs) So what if you? Owen Browning, played by Adam Devine from, you know, uh, Pitch, Pitch, Pitch Perfect. Perfect, was getting married and really punching above your weight, if I'm honest. Like, no disrespect to him, but Nino Dobrev uh, from The Vampire Diaries uh, is playing his his affianced. Uh, and all is well. They are they are getting together. They're setting up the wedding with his mad parents, played by Richard Kind and the great Julie Haggerty from Airplane. Um, until at the very last minute, much to everyone's surprise, it turns out he, her parents can visit... He's always been told that they are researchers in the Amazon jungle living with a remote tribe. It turns out that might not be 100% true. And in fact, they may be bank robbers with one of them doing a very ill-advised Scottish accent. Wow. Yeah. Look, it's fun. I watched it on a Friday night when I had no brain capacity to do anything. And it was fine. I'm not saying it's good or original or anything you haven't seen a million times before, though. So yeah, this got two stars from us. And I I think that's about right, if I'm honest. Like, it's not, you know, again, if it's Friday night and your brain is just like, no more anything, this'll do. And
1: you want to watch something that's just a bit shit, then either watch this or Bird Box Barcelona.
0: Bird Box Barcelona is good. (laughs) I refuse to give in on this point. You're a monster. (sighs) Anyway, just to finish up, there is one more film I wanted to mention, and it's a documentary out this week. It's called Squaring the Circle the story of hypnosis. Now, I didn't just say hypnosis wrong, like hip as in cool and then gnosis as in knowledge or wise. Um, and this is, I believe, the first feature-length documentary from Anton Corbin, who, of course, made the likes of Control. A really great uh, photographer turned director. And um, he obviously got his start working with musicians, right? He was one of the great, you know, band photographers. and And not, not in the sense he was banned, like he took pictures of Band, right. Just to be clear, so this tells the story of uh, a pair of artists uh, called Storm and Poe, um, who basically got together as as teenagers, uh, started working together as teenagers, and um, became the album art designers of the nineteen seventies. Uh, in particular. It was the 60s into the 70s. So most recognizably, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon is one of their creations. But they worked with Peter Gabriel. They worked with uh, Paul McCartney. They worked a lot with um, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, uh, 10CC. Uh, all of these people, absolutely iconic images that they created. And because Corbin is very switched on and clued into that world, he's able to get all of those people essentially, all the surviving people anyway, in to talk about this work. And also, you know, the likes of just fans of that kind of album art, like Noel Gallagher, who's just in being hilarious and being funny. Um, And it's... it's Look, if you're not interested in music, it's probably not got a huge amount to offer you. But I was kind of fascinated by it and I don't listen to most of these albums. So, But I was still intrigued to hear just more about how they were created. I mean, at, at points, they, they basically rocked up in the middle of the Sahara Desert with a bunch of deflated footballs, one hand pump, and had to create a sort of iconic image uh, out of that. Um, they tried to get a sheep to lie on a psychiatrist's couch, in the surf in Hawaii for one album cover. They were just doing crazy, crazy stuff. And they were based, you know, around the corner from us in Denmark Street. So it's just quite interesting stuff. Anyway, so we don't, I believe, have an Empire review yet. I think that's at least a three, possibly a four, if you're if you're a muso, but it's out this week. All right. I think that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Um, Next week, we are only going to be joined... By Christopher Bloody Nolan (gasps) to talk Oppenheimer.
2: He's the bomb, yo.
0: (laughs) He is the bomb. And he's not even the only director joining us. Laura McGann, who is the director of a fabulous new documentary called The Deepest Breath, is also due to be on the podcast. So um, much to play for. Uh, So please do rejoin us then. Thank you for listening this time. Um, And that is all. It is goodbye from Ben. Ben, where can people find you, by the way, if they want more of your or of your Disneyfication.
2: People can find me personally at Ben S. Travis. I'm not on threads yet. I'm holding off you're on threads. You're not on threads? Oh, you're so uncool. I'm going to wait until people are actually using threads. I'm I'm holding on to the to the Titanic. Helen and I are on threads. Twitter. Um, maybe I'll join you on threads, but I'm at Ben S. Travis. Uh, and yeah, you just uh, read all my... EmpireOnline.com.
1: Read my glorious words.
0: <laughs> right. And it's goodbye to James Dyer.
1: Uh, goodbye. Tiffany Haddish is joining us on the next Pilot TV podcast talk after party mentions. season two. Oh. Uh, which is very exciting. Please put tickets to the live show on the 19th of August. Uh, and you can find me at James C. Dyer on Twitter, Instagram and the threads.
0: Well, it's goodbye from me. I'm Helen L. O'Hara on Twitter. I'm on Threads, although I don't like it.
1: Nobody and, likes it, Helen. We use it for because we must.
0: And I'm also on Blue Sky, which I do like. I'm not on Blue Sky. It's yeah. just you and
1: Christopher Macquarie, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and we're having a great time. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm on all of them. Um, God help me. I hate them all. Um, that's not true. I don't hate some of them. But I do hate the billionaires who own them. Anywho, uh, it's goodbye for me. Please do join us again next week. Uh, and in the meantime, we're off to try and get James Taylor Swift tickets.
2: So all you need is a code. And then with the code, you (laughs) need the website. You have to be logged into the website already, onto the Ticketmaster, sign in to Ticketmaster already, get in the waiting room half an hour before. Then you are going to be assigned a place in the queue. And then once you're in the room, once you've (coughs) gone through the queue, you add your code. And if you have the two parts of the code and you put them together, it diffuses the bomb the bomb
1: this is just a plot of dead reckoning part 2 isn't it that's that's where we're at it is yeah ethan hunt's mission is to try and get taylor swift tickets oh, so basically
0: God. jump off a mountain on a motorbike and you should be fine i'll do it thanks for joining us bye bye